a lot of people talk about like, oh, quit your job and just go be an entrepreneur. Don't do that. So if you work your nine to five, I'm not saying to stop doing that because that vision and that person that told you to do that is not paying your rent. They're not buying your food. You work three hours a night, that adds up quick. That's 100 hours a month. That's 1,200 hours a year on the side. If you can figure out how to make an extra 20 bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour times 1,200, all of a sudden you just change your entire income bracket. Hello, my billion dollar baby, and welcome back. On this podcast, we break down the billion dollar ideas from today's cultural leaders who push past the traditional route to create their very own pathway to success. Today, we are going to dive deep into the mindset of serial entrepreneur Dan Fleischman, who is the youngest founder of a publicly traded company in history. As an angel investor of over 43 companies, Dan has an intimate understanding of the founder's mindset and what it takes to have a successful company. Dan is here to give us a masterclass in starting a business, stretching the dollar, and making your way all the way to an exit. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited. It's fun. <laughs> Welcome this is to definitely Dil- my first time doing a podcast in a bed, by the way. <laughs> Let's just be clear. That makes me happy. Yeah. Welcome to Billion Dollar Baby. I'm so excited to have you That's here. Such a good name. Wow. Good. So many yeah, fun are you a happening. billion dollar baby? You for sure are. I mean, I wasn't born that way. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I was born in the streets. <laughs> So you were just telling me you're supposed to be in a suit right now. Yeah, got to be in a suit. I'm going to be in a suit as soon as we're done with this. I'm getting the Humanitarian Award with uh, Drew Brees, Michael Phelps. Wow. John McEnroe. Oh, no big deal. Just be, your life. It'd be interesting. Casual Friday. It'd be interesting. Um, it's all about charity, so it's going to be good. They have 1,200 people. It's for cancer. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. You do yeah. so many cool things, so I hope I can like get it all covered in one episode even though i know it'll be very hard and you have like i can always come back (laughs) you have such a fascinating mind like i just remember one time you came to the office and i was just like i felt like i was in school like like i should have got a pen and paper and just started writing (laughs) before we jump into the way you think i want to kind of showcase to people you have so many like successful business owners and even celebrities that love you from like little wayne to steve aoki and all these people what makes these people want to be a part of what you're doing I throw a lot of events um, and I throw a lot of charity events. And so I think I get the emotional like brownie points because I throw a lot of charity events. Yeah. I throw the world's largest toy drive uh, for the last nine years in a row. We do a Thanksgiving food drive for the last eight years in a row. Two weeks ago, we did the back to school drive for the kids. That was for eight years in a row. We have the backpacks for the charity for 11 years or 12 years now. We put 150 items inside of backpacks. And so I think the charity events is where I get the emotional factor. And then there's a lot of them that initially I paid them, right? I booked them for something. So I don't want to just say like, they all just love me because I'm like nice guy or Dan. I would pay them 100K or 250K or 50K or some rate to come perform at the pizza festival or perform at a business event or a mastermind. And then a relationship was formed because they'd see how I treated them throughout the process of it. And so once I booked them once, oftentimes I'd come back multiple years in a row. And a lot of times I would get referrals like, book this rapper, I get introduced to the other rappers. Book this model, she introduced me to other models. You pay Kim Kardashian, all of a sudden you get Kylie. You pay Kylie, all the other girls want it. Mm-hmm. You pay Tyga, now Tyga gets Scott Disick. Like, it's a lot of just they see me doing something with someone and then I get a lot of referrals that way. And I'm just, I'm old. I've been doing this for 10, 11, 12, 13 years of like paying celebrities, influencers and throwing these events that eventually math and time just kind of compounds. Real quick, tell them how much you've paid creators and influencers over the years. 
So $60 million specifically to influencers. Insane. Outside of that, I've managed a couple hundred million where I've helped the brands direct where they're going to do the payments. But $60 million has actually been wired through my through elevator, through my agency. But the brands themselves, sometimes I just have them pay directly. I don't count that because I don't yeah. know that number exactly. And that's not really fair. <laughs> so I count exactly what I've actually done, what I can actually prove. I don't want to count like theoretical numbers so you fed a lot of families and helped a lot of creators over the years yes. <laughs> safe to say a lot of people that are watching i always want to inspire people on mindsets of making money and you clearly have that mindset so think back to the first time you started really learning how to make money did that really come naturally to you or what was that process like for you so uh, i think about the process of like if i throw you in a pool you gotta swim or die mm -hmm. we just didn't have any money so I was four years old, I was at the swap meet, and every weekend I would buy and sell baseball cards on a little table. And my parents would sell Levi's jeans out of the back of a green van. I'll never forget it. So from four years old to eight years old, I was like a little Gary Vee selling baseball cards at the swap meet. That's and then amazing. parents get divorced, we moved to, my mom and I moved to San Diego. We're living in like this 90-ish year old lady's one bedroom, like a little on a couch. And I was like, I gotta make money. I'm eight, right? I'm just thinking like we should be able to get a second bedroom so that me and my mom can have our own bedroom. And then maybe one day a third bedroom, I'll get my own room. And so like I started selling candy and I started like buying, my mom fronted the money for me. She gave me $10, went to Costco, then 20 bucks, then 50 bucks and helped me like flip candy money. And um, that's where it all started. I was just literally like a kid. And then as soon as I was allowed to work at 15 years old, I got three jobs at the same time. Wow. Worked at Ruby's Diner with the sailor's cap on. I worked at Qualcomm Stadium, peanuts and Cracker Jacks. And then I worked for a stockbroker under the table. He gave me 20 bucks an hour, which is insane. I was literally wow. 15 years old. I was like balling. And uh, <laughs> I mean, he only let me work two hours a day. So it wasn't like that much. But uh, as a 15 year old, it was a lot. Anyways. And so that's where it all started. And that's where I saved up 43,000 from 15 to 18 to be able to do my company. I, like those three years where I stayed up that the initial capital for my company. So when you think back to like when you were younger making money, how did you get the confidence to know that you could like make more money than that and keep growing it? Because some people have like a limited mindset, especially yeah. if they like grew up in poverty or, or parents that told you like money doesn't grow on trees. It's hard to make money. Sure. So what do you feel like you did differently to like expand your mind? All I did was work. <laughs> like I remember in high school, like I, as soon as 2.30 or 3.30 rolls around, I would go to one of the jobs, either Ruby's Diner or the stadium. If there was a game, like a baseball game going, I had to work. As soon as the game's over, I'm going to like do whatever I have to do to like make money on the side and hustle. And then in the morning, I'd go sell candy and cereal boxes. Like I just was always working. And so I was always accumulating money. It didn't matter if it was $1, $4. It was a lot of like $1, $4 stuff. I'm not making it sound like I was making a ton of money. Back in my days, it was $3.75 for an hour. That's what minimum wage was. Wow. Then I got $4.25. Then I got $4.50. Then I went crazy, got $5.25 an hour, right? Like I just started making it rain. And so like, so I, when I say these things, but I knew that if I just put in all my hours working, hustling, working, hustling, like, and I just still do that to this day. Like I'm always in the mix. I'm always still working because I think I have that PTSD of being a kid with just no money. Yeah. And that it could all go away. And so I just still to this moment, like. I'm thinking about as soon as this podcast is over in an hour, I'm going to go to this thing. And as soon as that's over, I'm going to drive and do this meeting. Like, Yeah, he literally just got off a plane from New York and came straight, straight here. Straight to you. <laughs> I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's it's just interesting because I am the same way. And I feel like there's a lot of entrepreneurs or successful people that are the same way with what you were saying is like, once you make money, if you didn't grow up with that, you're almost like, you don't have that sense of like, 
you always, no matter how much money you have, it's hard to feel financially set. For sure. You're always like still like going to the next thing. That's how I am. Um, but it drives us to constantly go, go, go next, 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 which yeah, can we need it. Yeah. burn you out though. <laughs> I like it though for now. <laughs> so what advice would you say to someone that's like sitting at home, maybe hasn't really been able to like break the cap to make that next level of money, but wants to like grow how much money they can make? So you're limited in a job because it's only a certain amount of hours, unless you're in a sales or commission-based job or something that has bonuses. So you have to think about something else that also makes money. So if you work your nine to five, I'm not saying to stop doing that. A lot of people talk about like, oh, quit your job and just go be an entrepreneur. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Please don't do that. Because that vision and that person that told you to do that is not paying your rent. They're not buying your food. What I'd rather you do is work your normal nine to five as a real estate agent or a contractor, an accountant or a waiter, whatever you're doing. And in those hours from six to 10 or seven to 11, et cetera, that adds up quick. You work three hours a night. That's 100 hours a month. That's 1,200 hours a year on the side. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out how to make an extra 20 bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour times 1,200, all of a sudden you just change your entire income bracket. Mm -hmm. You went from making 40 grand a year to 60 just from working on the side. And so looking for something that's not big, meaning something that you can do a lot of that makes you an extra 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whether it's you tutoring on the side, you can teach people guitar or Spanish or something you can tutor on, on Zoom. Whether it's babysitting, house sitting, dog walking, there's just so many ways to make extra money, like you know, Postmates and Uber Eats and all these other things that people just don't consider that they can just do on the side. They don't have to make it their main career. And if all of a sudden you have your main job that you make forty grand a year on, but you're also making an extra fourteen hundred bucks a month from Postmates or Uber Eats or some type of delivery or some type of dog walking or house sitting or whatever. That adds up real quick. Yeah, that's so true. And what I what I really realized too when I kind of went on my own and was like, okay, I'm going to finally start my own business is that a lot of people think like, oh, I should be a business owner. But what it really means is like you have, you might not think you have a boss, but like you have to be your own boss. Like you now need to be on your shit. Sure. Like you have to almost be your biggest like critic to be like, why didn't you wake up on time? Why didn't you do this today? Why didn't you fill out your to-do list? And so unless you're at that level to really get there you have to slowly try things and then on the side like you're saying be your own boss on those things that you want to get done on the side it gets addicting that's the thing if someone makes a side hustle and like it really gets addicting to make an extra 50 bucks 100 bucks 200 bucks i don't want to talk about like visions of grand you're like oh i'm gonna make an extra 10 grand a month no you're not that's really <laughs> hard to do no matter how much money or how much your skills are that's that's hard to do but making 2k 1k 4k 3k is doable mm -hmm. and then once you've figured out something that you can make extra money from that's either online tutoring or you training someone or you become a personal trainer or you become a chef or making pre-cut meals making cupcakes i don't care making beads of necklaces and jewelry like yours like there's just a lot of things to do mm -hmm. there's a lot of options and people will pay money for it and there's a lot of ways for you to sell online now with so many different functions through ebay and shopify and etsy and there's just so many ways to make money from little things that you might like and once you find something that you like, that side hustle becomes your main job. Mm -hmm. At some point, you make enough of those bracelets that you're making 400 bucks a day. That's way more than you make at your job. Then you can quit your job. It's funny because I always like, 
I feel like I'm really good at relating with like the average person's mindset of like feeling like maybe you have to work for someone or even listening to you and being like, oh, that still sounds complicating. Just because I remember myself when I was younger and I wanted to do a business. I was like listening to these like entrepreneurs talking about how to do it. And still sometimes when you have a limited mindset, it's still hard to get yourself to feel like it's easy. So I feel like one of the things you're saying, which is a good belief to take on, is that there's money everywhere to be made. Mm -hmm. Like you can literally do so many things. And if you start to look at the world that way, like there's an opportunity to make money here, 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 here. Like even if you just make a list of all the ways you can make money on the side, just so your mind starts to open up to more possibilities of making money, I feel like is a first step for a lot of people because sometimes when you listen to like very successful people like you, it's hard to imagine that they can do it too, you know? And so it's like unlocking that part of their brain. So what was your first business idea that you started and ran with? So I trademarked the catchphrase, who's your daddy? So I owned that name, the, the slogan, for th- over 300 products. I was 17 and a half. Started trademarking it for clothing and energy drinks and barbecue sets and everything you could imagine with that slogan on it. And we printed t-shirts that just said, who's your daddy? <laughs> so good. Right. And so we made 100 t-shirts and we sold them out 15 bucks each at $1,500. I was like, I'm a millionaire. I'm 17 years old and $1,500. Like, woo. So I realized if I could sell out 100 shirts at lunchtime, let's make more. Then I realized, hey, why don't we go to the convention? It's called Magic, the clothing convention. It's 1999. Like, let's go to Magic and we'll get a booth there, but let's go big. Let's get two booths. We'll get 20 feet and we'll be like, go crazy. We'll be the big, we'll be the big dogs. So we go to the Magic. The booth next to us is this guy named Puff Daddy. He just started a brand called Sean John the same mm-hmm. exact day and takes the whole walkway. It looks like wow. a castle. And on my left is a brand called FUBU. And they're like a million dollar booth right next to us. And so I'm the little 20 feet in between them. But we got lucky because all the traffic was there because everybody came to see them and them. And while they're waiting in line, <laughs> there's me and like four little high school girls like, hey, what's up? We're selling t-shirts. So and so cool. we wrote a million dollars in orders. No way. And didn't have a manufacturer. We don't no know. <laughs> way. We didn't know how to make the clothes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So my older brother and my partner's dad were both like, come home. What are you doing? Like, who's going to make a million dollars in purchase orders for you? Like, you know, you're gonna have to come up with $500,000 to manufacture it. And then you're going to get paid like 90 days from now, that million. Like, what are you going to do? We're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) We got a million dollars in orders. We're millionaires. (laughs) Yeah, that's where it all started. Wow. That's so cool. And then, so you still have that company today, right? No. So I took it public when I was 23. So six years after that, I took it public. Wow. Got into 55,000 stores selling the energy drinks. And then on the 10-year anniversary, so 5-22-2009, yeah, 10 years later, on May 22nd, is when I resigned. Wow. And so the company went from 55,000 stores to 18,000 to 4,500 to nothing. after. Wow, once you left. Yeah, because well, someone has to drive it. Someone has to be <laughs> addicted to, like, go sell every single day. That was me. And so once I resigned, it just... Wow, but that's wild. It was a fun ride. So going public is a whole different beast. Can you explain that all to us? Sure, don't do it. Um, <laughs> there's only a few thousand companies that ever actually go public. So when we see the concept of going public, it, it's very, very hard because it takes two years and $2 million on average of accounting and legal. Wow. The hard part is why I say I don't recommend it is when you're publicly traded like we were, I had thousands and thousands and thousands of shareholders, you now answer to them. So if you go buy pillows, they're like, why'd you buy the $18 pillows? You could have bought $12 pillows. And you got to explain it and like actually fill out a report. 
and submit the report to accounting, who then submits it to the CFO, who then submits it to the auditor, who submits it to the SEC auditor. I'm not exaggerating. For the pillow in our office, we would literally have to submit it and all talk, discuss it and think about how many things you have in an office. A lot. What if you have multiple offices? What if you've got 55,000 stores that your drinks are in and you got to pay for gas receipts? And they're like, well, we need to verify all these gas receipts. We're like, we have 43 distributors and they have 12 to 24 drivers each. You want me to verify 600 drivers' gas receipts? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, that happened over and over and over. Every single month, I would spend literally 50 to 100K a month of just legal and accounting to prove to the SEC wow. my basic stuff. Like the most basic stuff, like literally like the gas receipts and the, the food and snacks. So that part I don't recommend. Even though a CFO and accounting team is doing it, you have to sign off on it. If you're wrong, you go to jail, not them. Wow. So when you're talking about being a publicly traded company, there's a lot of rules and regulations. Now, now that I'm done scaring you, the good side of it is you have a lot of access to capital. Mm -hmm. When you're publicly traded, we were ranging from like 60 million to 155 million to 180 million to 80 million. Like, we, you know, stock price fluctuates. When your stock is up there, you can go buy companies with stock and not use any cash. Wow. So I could go buy like a warehouse or I could go buy a manufacturer. I could go buy a backpack company and say, hey, let's put my brand on backpacks. I'm going to go buy a pillow company and put my name on pillows and just give them stock. And I could just make more stock and just issue it. <laughs> like it was just like an, you have so much power because now you have shares to go out and buy stuff with and do deals with. And so we, we did a ton of creative deals with NASCARs, the Utah State Fair, department store chains. We'd go there and like, hey, here's 100,000 shares or here's a million dollars in shares. Let's do deals. So there is a power to being a publicly traded company and it allows anyone to be able to buy stock in your company. So that also is cool because now people can feel a part of you like a shareholder. So there's a pros and cons to it. There's way more pros than cons. I just have PTSD about the cons because I hate dealing with the yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of legal and accounting. But a lot of them fail, right? A lot of them, when they go public, end up failing. So it depends. There's different platforms. There's the New York Stock Exchange. There's NASDAQ. There's what's called the OTC board. And then there's also in every major country, like in Canada, Asia, et cetera, there are uh, different stock exchanges. Mm -hmm. Thousands of companies are on these small exchanges. They fail. The bigger companies, not as much because they had to go through so much. There's so many qualifying elements. And the platforms like New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, they don't want you to fail. It looks bad on them. Wow. And so they're very picky about who gets to go there, how much volume of stock you're trading already, how much money you have in the bank. Like you go through a long vetting process before they even let you go on the platform. If, let's say you're like, oh, I'm going to take Unruly Public and I've got $50 million today. You'd still wait two years mm -hmm. and $2 million of legal and accounting to prove everything that you told them for them to then say, okay, change this, add this. You need this, this, this is like, so then for them to then maybe allow you to go public mm -hmm. a year after that. Crazy. So there's a lot of hoops to doing it. Uh, but if you go through the process and you actually ever want to go public or work for a public company, there is power in the fact that they are a public traded vehicle. Um, they still need to make real money. And if they don't make real money, and keep in mind you're reporting everything, so people know exactly your margins, how much you spend, how much does the CEO make, how much does the every salary, every everything. Yeah, that's true. When they say public, they mean like public, <laughs> like everything. That's wild. So you founded so many different companies, invested in so many different companies. What makes you like kind of interested in so many different fields? So I only invest into a company if I have a quarterback running it, meaning. 
I need someone that I trust to be the CEO that I'm obsessed with that I know they're going to do it. Otherwise, I won't invest. Mm -hmm. So let's say Tara's like, I want to invest in cool unicorn. We're going to make these cool unicorn plush toys. But Tara doesn't want to run it and I'm not going to run it. Well, I'm not going to invest in it, even if it's an amazing business. And Tara's like, no, no, it's huge. I just don't have time to run it. I won't do it. If Tara's like, hey, I have this girl. She's amazing. She loves unicorns. She's been doing unicorns for 25 years straight. She loves unicorns. Like, that's her thing. Okay, well, now I'm more interested in investing because there's someone behind it to run it. And so when you see me with Everbowl, my acai bowl chain, sports car storage chain, social media agency, the ranch, there's so many different moving parts, masterminds, there's so many moving parts of my life. Each one has its own CEO. So mm -hmm. Dan doesn't actually run any one thing because I would go crazy trying to do it and it's not efficient. So I am doing group chats with all of them. I am watching all of them. I am talking to all of them. But if I don't answer at all for five days, those events are still going to happen. That acai bowl is still going to get sold. The sports card store is still going to happen. Like all the things are still going to happen with or without me. And that's the only way I can invest in companies. That's cool. So walk us through, like you meet with a company, they tell you this whole idea. How do you know and vet if it's something you should okay. invest in? So let's talk about Tara's unicorn plush toys. Mm -hmm. So first things first is the founder. So I'm like, oh, Tara's got a successful company. She has a personal brand. She knows how to build a business. She knows how to run an operation. She has a ton of employees. Check, check, check. Right. Mm -hmm. I now trust Tara as the first thing in this company of unicorn plush toys. The product itself is actually interchangeable. You're not. Mm -hmm. I need the Tara to be there. I need her. I need that person that I'm going to bet on because things change in a company. A lot of things can happen. You might end up selling pillows instead or you might sell comforters instead of plush toys at some point, but I still want you. I mm -hmm. want to bet on you because you're a successful founder once. I believe you're going to do it again, right? I have trust in you. Mm -hmm. Next. Okay, if she's obsessed with doing these unicorn plush toys, great. Is the price point correct? Does the market care? Has she sold any before? Is How big are the competitors? Like, I want to know about the market and if anyone was going to care. How do I know if they care? People vote with their wallets. Mm -hmm. So if Tara's like, oh, yeah, we did like a, a soft launch and we sold 40 grand of plush toys. Okay, people care, <laughs> right? People actually pull out their wallet and paid 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks for a toy. They care. So first I want to ch check on the founder. Then I want to check on the product in the market. Then, is it something I actually want to invest in? Like, do I care? Mm -hmm. Right? Am I going to want to, like, listen and work with Tara for the next three or four or five years talking about plush toys? I have to care, too. <laughs> and it's going to take years for her to build this business successfully to where someone would exit or buy it or something big happen. And so I need to trust the founder, like the product, like the market. And then the last thing is, can we actually make it a viable thing? Mm-hmm. Like, can she take it from $40,000 in pre-sales to like a $4 million company or 10 million or 20 million, et cetera? Is the market big enough to matter? Mm -hmm. Because there's sometimes I want to invest small and I'm just looking for a base hit. Sometimes I'm looking for something that's going to be medium, like tens of millions of dollars, like might become like a medium or to big company. And then sometimes I'm looking for a grand slam. Mm -hmm. Like, is she going to become the biggest, you know, Mattel is going to buy her plush toys at one day. Like sometimes I'm looking for that. And so that'll determine how much I invest, how much time I invest, et cetera. But the most part is the way that someone pitches at the beginning is first themselves, then the product, then the market, and then the investor will make their own decisions if they actually want to support that. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I've noticed sometimes there's people that are starting a business and looking for investors. But the, I also noticed there's some people that are very passionate about it, but they don't know how to raise. They don't actually know how to go about raising money and things like that. 
Um, so a lot of times they fail just because they don't have the experience right. in actually raising money, yeah. which I've seen. I can walk them through that. I'm do it yes. real quick. I call it setting up shop. Setting up shop is first, they need to have a name. Second, they need to have a corporation, like an LLC or a corporation. Third, they need to make a website and all their social media accounts on that name. doesn't cost them any money. Go get reserve your name everywhere. Then you're going to set up a business plan. 10 to 20 pages, not some big 50 page, 100 page, big financials. Your financials are useless because you're just guessing. Nobody cares. Make an actual business plan of the market, of the competitors, of the industry, of the price points. How much do plush toys cost to make? Who can make them for you? Like figure out all the, all the things of who can make those toys for you and find out if you actually have a manufacturer, et cetera. Once you have a corporation, a name, website, social media accounts, and a business plan, you look like you're a real right real thing <laughs> now if you actually go you have a bank account and you have your social media accounts and you make a design of your unicorn plush toys you, know, you have to make what's called an investment document and your investment document if you don't have that and you pitch an investor and they're like okay i like your idea but you don't have investment documents i'm gonna be waiting around for two weeks four weeks months whatever to invest in you so let's say tara's presenting unicorn plush toys she should have her corporation her bank account already open, investment documents, and a business plan. If she has those things and I say yes, I could literally wire her money tomorrow. Mm -hmm. If she doesn't have any one of those things, wah, wah, wah. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing I always say is called setting up shop. I get bombarded with hundreds of people that are like, oh, I want you to invest into my company. I'm like, great, send me a business plan. Crickets. Wow. Most of them just disappear. When I say most of them, I mean like 99% of them just disappear. That's and they never wild. come back with a business plan. And so... Just the fact of having a business plan, a corporation, a bank account, social media accounts, all the basics out of the way that don't cost you much money to set up, literally hundreds of dollars to set up, you will stand out across everybody. Mm -hmm. And then your investment documents are important because if I say yes, you want me to be able to sign and wire. Mm -hmm. What you don't want to do is be like, oh my, that's amazing. I'm going to talk to my lawyers to make the paperwork. You don't want to lose the investor. Yeah. You want to come to the investor with everything on a silver platter. Here's my investment documents. Here's my business plan. Here's my financial plan. Bada bing, bada boom. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's cool. What are some key personality traits you look for in an entrepreneur that's starting their own business? So one is positivity. They have to be, I almost call it delusional positivity. Uh, because they need to be delusional. They can go sell enough toys up against Mattel and all these other major companies that they're going to go beat Barbie and they're going to go beat everybody because their plush toys are the best, mm -hmm. right? You have to be delusionally optimistic and positive. So I need that because if they're negative, you know, like I call them a negative Nancy. Well, negative Nancy is just not going to get it done because when she faces any struggle, it's over. Mm -hmm. She might go get a job. She might not quit. She might just close her laptop and that's it. I'm done with this thing. If a person is negative, I will not invest no matter how impressive they are at a business, how impressive the product is. If someone is negative, I will not invest. Wow. Ever. Under any circumstance, no matter what. <laughs> I have to like them and I have to also trust them that they're going to go out and want to work. The other trait is relentless. That when things get hard, they're going to push forward because things are going to get hard in every company, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so I need someone that's going to be relentless that if things go bad, which they will, that they're going to power through it and they're not going to give up. Mm -hmm. And I need them to be relentless. And third, I just really need to, to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Like I need to trust them that I'm going to put in 100K or 500K or a million dollars into their company and I'm going to go get my friends to put in that also. I need to trust that person. When they go to a convention, they're going to be out there 
and they're not just going to go party at the convention for four days. Mm -hmm. They're going to be there at the booth every single day at 8 a.m., bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to work, mm -hmm. right? And so I have to trust that they actually care about their business. They're going to show up to work. They're not going to be stealing. They're not going to be wasting time. They're not going to be wasting money. They're going to be there to work and build a business and a brand. They're going to treat my money and my friends' investors' money as if it's their own. Mm -hmm. How do you think ChatGBT will affect the marketplace? Do you think it's going to replace a lot of jobs as well as like lawyers, accountants, and things like that? So here's the thing about ChatGPT that people aren't realizing. Let's say you go on Google and we Google bed pillows. You're going to get bed pillows that are $1, $5, $500, $2,000, Some of them are going to be different fabrics, explanations, etc. There's going to be thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of different options of bed pillows. The same thing applies for ChatGPT. If I, I wrote best bed pillows and write me a whole thesis about bed pillows, it's going to come up with all types of variations based off of other people's information that isn't necessarily correct. Wow. See where I can go? Mm-hmm. And so someone's like, I want to make the best bed pillows ever. They're going to be the best throw pillows in history. And so ChatGPT scrapes the internet looking for other people's information that they said about pillows. But you said it's $500. I said it's 8 bucks. Someone else said it's 2000 Someone else said it's 40 bucks. So when it's scraping the internet, it's scraping for information that's not necessarily correct to pull to the top and make its assumptions. Wow. The same thing applies if it's for a legal letter like, hey, I want to write a legal letter. Tara and I... We're going to write a contract that I'm going to buy 10% of her pillow company. Well, which lawyer is it going to scrape from? What if the lawyer it scrapes from is from Wichita, Kansas, and doesn't actually know how to write contracts for commercial goods? There are hundreds of thousands of variations of what ChatGPT could come up with, and a lot of them are wrong. And so I am not scared about it ruining our economy and millions of jobs and all these crazy media things. Remember all those things that were out there a few months ago? Crickets, right? Nobody's saying anything about it now because it's hard. ChatGPT has a long way to go. Now, is it still fascinating? Of course, because there are mundane things that it could do. There are basic customer service things that it can do extremely well. Customer service industry should be very nervous because that is mundane. It's like the same 18 questions and the same 36 answers that people give on those questions. So like a drive-through teller could have used JetGPT and we don't need drive-through tellers. That part's scary because there's three and a half million people that work at fast food. And if they don't have a job, that's scary because where else are they going to work? So there are concepts that could be scary like if, or controversial, but are we going to lose all the editors and content creators and lawyers and doctors and this and that? No, it's not going to happen. That makes me happy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, good. It does scare me, but I know I shouldn't be scared. I'm like, I just need to learn it. So I'm not scared, but it's, it's a freaky world. Um, how can an entrepreneur today take advantage of AI and ChatGPT? So the main way to take advantage of AI and ChatGPT is to study everything about it right now. What you see right this second won't even matter in a year or two. This is like MySpace to Facebook to Instagram to TikTok. Like you're going to see the evolution of the platforms, we might not even be talking about ChatGPT in a few years because mm -hmm. it's going to be nothing compared to <laughs> what the next company is. There's already a version, I forgot the name of it, that's already like 400 times better than ChatGPT. Wow. Not four times, 400 times better wow. already. Because if you think about what it does, is it is thinking itself. That's what AI is. Artificial intelligence is like consuming information, thinking for itself to make itself better, theoretically, if, assuming that's good information. 
And so in a year, two years, three years, with hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars being spent on the AI ChatGPT world, we're just going to see so many iterations of better companies, better services, better platforms that are going to come up that this is going to be nothing compared to what happens in the future. What are the common reasons why a business fails? Number one, uh, they don't have enough money. So that's true. The problem for most businesses, they don't raise enough money to get to get it going, and they don't account for what could happen or problems that could happen or what could arise, or the fact that things just take time. And so th- people often be like, "Oh yeah, ninety percent of restaurants fail. Well, ninety percent of all businesses fail. Mm-hmm. The reason restaurants fail is someone raises a hundred grand for a restaurant and doesn't plan for what happens in December, January, February when it's snowing. Mm-hmm. And they don't make as much money." And they only have a couple months in the bank and now they're bankrupt when they would have been just fine if they actually had just a little bit of cushion. So money is typically one of the biggest reasons why people just run out of money and they go broke and they didn't plan for it. And they could have survived if they had enough capital and not to say you need to overraise, but you need to keep your expenses low, which mm-hmm. is my answer. To number two is keeping your overhead low. Most businesses, most people also that you see go broke like athletes, et cetera, is because their overhead is too high. Mm-hmm. They start making more money, they get a three-bedroom, then a four-bedroom, then a five-bedroom, then a mansion. Like, relax. You don't need five cars. There's a famous saying that Will Smith's dad said was, I don't know why you have five cars. You only have one butt. (laughs) So, so many people go out and buy so many watches and so many cars and so many things. Like, keeping your overhead low is what will help a lot of entrepreneurs not go broke. Third, price a little bit higher. Oftentimes, we're like, oh, we want to, like, sell this thing for $14. Our competitors are 20 bucks. Your competitors are probably 20 bucks because that's what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And you should be at 20 bucks or mm-hmm. somewhere real close to it. Mm-hmm. And people are buying it because it's you or your brand. They're not like buying it because you save them a small percentage. They're not. Mm-hmm. Where consumers have lots of ways to figure things out. And so unless you're selling something that's like a mass economy thing that they could go buy at every store in the world, almost any other product, they're not that price sensitive. And so I oftentimes see people like, oh, yeah, they're 100 bucks and we're 62. I'm like, Shush, that means you have no profit <laughs> because they have to sell for $100 for a reason. Mm-hmm. And you should be somewhere in that same ballpark. Uh, you need profit margin. You need sales and you need marketing. The other reason that entrepreneurs don't fail is they don't ask for the sale. They're not spending enough time every single day, literally just getting people to try to buy their product. There's a famous quote from Mark Cuban, sales cures all. Mm-hmm. If every day you and some of your staff spend even just one or two hours a day just selling, selling online, selling through emails, selling through phone calls, marketing, Facebook ads, posting, like calling, just doing stuff to sell your product, your business will probably 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x, or 6x. Just from that energy of like one or two hours a day, everybody try to sell. Mm -hmm. Just go try to sell our pillows or our toys or whatever. Like go sell these unicorn toys. Just go try to sell more. And by doing that, the marketing department gets more excited. The accounting department, they feel better. There's more money coming in. The staff feels way better that there's, hey, there's an extra two grand in sales today. Like the energy of sales itself will make everyone feel better within your whole company. That's so true. It's such a powerful feeling and it's exciting. Um, I just want to personally ask you a question now for my agency. Um, obviously, we're like the first ones in the space to really come out in the way we have to monetize talent. So we set the percentage. I remember the day we perce- we decided what it would be. Um, and in that, even at that time, I was like very big on like giving power back to the influencers and I could have set it way higher. Um, but since then when agencies popped out and started copying us, they all lowered their percentage 
percentage significantly less in order to be able to sign talent. Um, but it's so, it's so much less. And like, it doesn't make sense because even our percentage sometimes doesn't make sense, you know? Um, so what would you say to someone that wants to keep their standard of value, but the market is not educated yet on the value? It's really easy. (laughs) You get what you pay for. Yeah. So true. Like if I go pay like the local nightclub promoter, that's all of a sudden managing talent. Well, he has no experience. He has no team. He has no office. He doesn't know how to do what you guys have done for years. Mm-hmm. It's two different worlds. If I go to a store and I buy a clothing article, there's a big difference between buying a $20 shirt and a $100 shirt. You can feel the fabric, the material, how long it's going to last. That shirt's like if I buy a shirt from like a, a fast casual company, fast fashion company, I might be able to wear it once or twice and then it's going to burn away. It's probably what's going to happen with the local nightclub guy that's running an agency. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to burn away mm-hmm. because he just doesn't know what he's doing or money starts coming in and he spends it all. He doesn't pay the employees. Like we've heard all the war stories that happens to all these agencies that pop up like a whack-a-mole. All these agencies I hear about every single freaking week <laughs> that are trying to manage talent. Like I've been running my agency for a decade and I don't remember any other agency that's been around for a decade because they all just come and go mm-hmm. because they don't know how to run their operations. They're looking at fast money and easy money in situations like that. So for you, you are like the premier agency. If you think about it, the same concept in talent, the CAAs and those type of like household name agencies and the movies and actor space, their rates have been the same for forever. And plenty of other agencies come in and managers and talent agencies try to steal the people still stick with the biggest agencies in the world for a reason. Mm-hmm. You're the biggest stick that mm-hmm. like people want to be with you and it's worth it. And the same thing applies, whether it's in modeling, whether it's in sports an agency like a sports agency representation there are household name agents that represent athletes that people go to and they pay more to negotiate a contract you know why they're going to negotiate better mm-hmm. for elevator studio we charge 20 percent flat rate and we've always charged 20 percent flat rate no matter what and i always say i don't negotiate with terrorists i charge household name companies my friends companies everybody in between 20 percent flat i've never changed it once i'll never ever ever change it and i make everybody prepay Mm-hmm. Even my closest friends, because I don't. I want us to stay close friends. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to owe me money. <laughs> That's so true. Right? And so I've been <laughs> I've been public about how much I charge forever. However, I explain to people I'm going to save you twenty to sixty percent on every campaign. Mm-hmm. So I'm free. Yeah, literally. <laughs> right. And so if you your rate, whatever your percentage is, for girls, guys, etc., for whatever they're doing in the different talent categories. You are going to make them more famous. You're going to make them more efficient. You're going to help them with co- collaborations and throw events. Like what other agencies are throwing events and parties and like you're, you just stand out so much that they're going to benefit from that. And they have to realize that part of it is that you can go with someone that's going to pay a small fee to, but you're literally going to get what you pay for and you're probably going to leave them and try to come back. Yeah. So true. So true. I mean, yeah, even for our company, every time we sign someone, we more than cover our percent. A lot of times double their revenue. But uh, what would you say to someone that's like a consultant who maybe is like starting out trying to consult for businesses and then they have other consultants that are also pitching the same client to be like, oh, my price is cheaper and they're selling them the, the world. How do you set a standard and then communicate that to the business and make them feel like you're the right one? So when it's not like a tangible item that sure. they could feel the, the proof is in the pudding. So the biggest thing for someone that's a consultant in this example is to get some initial clients. So same concept. If I have a podcast, if I have a podcast, I go get 
one or two, three big names. It's easy to get any names I want forever because I just say, oh, yeah, I had Gary Vee and Kevin Hart and I had Tara on there. I go, I go pitch that and other people would want to jump on. If you're a consultant and you go be like, oh, yeah, we're the consultant for that cell phone company and that pillow company, even if they didn't pay you, but you actually did the work. And I'm not saying to lie. But you actually did the work for them. It is really easy for you to go get other clients. So true. For our agency, we're the agency record for Oracle and BET. Mm-hmm. I start off every meeting like that. Mm-hmm. You know how easy the meeting is? Because <laughs> they heard Oracle, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've done campaigns for DraftKings, Postmates, and Lyft. Yeah, we're done. I'm signing the contract. Send it over. That's it. <laughs> and I'm not going to change my rate either because DraftKings, Postmates, and Lyft paid the same rate. Yeah. So why would I change it for you? It's so true. And so for a consultant, if you can get that initial client, even if it's for free, and do that work, the same thing, the same thing applies to everything. Remember when Anastasia... Her eyebrow company oh, got yeah, huge. Oh, yeah, that's huge. Because of J-Lo. Wow. Her client from, I don't know, from seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, she got J-Lo. Everyone talked about it. I've never got my eyebrows done by freaking Anastasia. But I still know that she did J-Lo many, many years ago. And guess what? Now she sold her company for like a billion dollars. Wow. From having that initial client that she could use as her calling card. Wow, that's great advice. Thank you. Are there certain attributes you see over and over again in successful businesses? Efficiency. That they actually ship on time, whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the biggest things. Um, managing to their operations effectively. That's a huge thing. Someone being in the company that's like the nuts and bolts, like the accounting person or the chief operating officer, like someone that just like reels in the entrepreneur that wants to be like the wild entrepreneur with all the great ideas. There's someone there in every successful company that's actually like, okay, this is how much it's actually going to cost. This is what we can actually afford. This is how we're actually going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. Let's not do that yet. Um, seeing someone that's like the parent figure that's like trying to reel them in. I've seen that in pretty much every successful company has that. The one that just kind of flies by the seat of their pants, it rarely works out because they have a, a big crash at the end. Something crazy happens uh, because they're not someone to, to make it safe. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly I see things that successful companies have organizational skills, organizational people that actually make the thing run. So no matter what the idea or sale or product or service is, in the back end, someone's running it efficiently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what I notice a lot is like people don't hire properly and like hiring is so important too. like the people that you bring into your business is so important. And so, um, I've noticed that with a lot of talent, they like want to start getting their first assistant and getting things to be organized. And then they always hire like their friend or someone that doesn't know this industry at all. And then they don't know how to train them to understand the industry. So they last for like a month and then they end up firing them yep. because it's not working. And so hiring is so important, but how would you, what advice would you give for finding out like how to hire and knowing when someone is good for a position? So the the famous quote is hire slow, fire fast. Yes. So I'm really picky about employees and most all of my employees have been with me for four to 10 years each. Wow. And it's really rare that someone actually leaves, leaves me when it comes to employees because first I make sure that there's someone that fits me. If it's my world and fits the thing that they're focusing on. Acai bowls, sports cards, agency, charity, live events, whatever the thing is in my world, they love that thing. Next, I empower them to be good and then to be great and then not to need me at all so they can do it all on their own. Third, I make sure that I pay them correctly Mm -hmm. so that they can't get kidnapped by someone else. They can't get poached by someone else. And if someone poaches them, we can have a talk so that they don't leave me just because of a little extra bump in salary commission. Uh, 
And I'm very clear in the beginning to remove like problems later. So I say, hey, this job is going to be like traveling a ton. I don't want someone that has like three kids and they're like, well, I can't travel a ton. I don't want to find that out two months later or five <laughs> months later because it's literally what we have to do. We've got to go to every convention, every trade show. I need you to be there. And I, don't, I definitely don't want to take away from your children. So let's find you something else or a different position in the company to be home more often. And so being blunt in advance of what I need as a company or what the business needs as a brand so that we have open communication. I actually call it over communication. Mm-hmm. We over communicate in all of my companies um, because it prevents a lot of situations. It prevents a lot of drama. It prevents a lot of headaches that we over communicate with each other in every department. And so finding the right people is they have to be like the thing that they're doing. I prefer them to have some experience in the thing that they're doing or in a similar category. I pay them the market rate or better or have incentives for them to stick, stick with me because when you lose someone, it's, there's months sometimes of trying to find a replacement mm-hmm. and I got to train that replacement. So I might lose two to six months. I'd rather just pay the extra amount to keep them than lose a two to six months. Yeah, that's so true. I've seen a lot of businesses and I've, I think I heard somewhere that how important it is nowadays to create your own personal brand when you own a business. Cause people are now like gearing towards or connecting more with when they know who's behind the company. Do you believe that too? Cause I see that you do that with your companies. Yes. I wrote a book about personal branding. That's how much I care about it and that people need it. But I'll give you a quick example. Let's do rapid fire. Ready? Yes. Name the CEO of Southwest Airlines. No idea. American Airlines. No idea. Delta. No idea. But there's one airline that if I name it, you know the CEO of Virgin Airlines. And Richard Branson has dozens and dozens and dozens of products. Mm-hmm. American Airlines doesn't have a music company, a freaking food brand, a vodka company. But Virgin does. So the one personal brand in the space is Richard Branson. has all these different brands because the personal brand is there. And that company is the coolest one. They have hotels, they have this, they have that, water and vodka and everything in between because of the personal brand. Wow. When all these other airlines that do hundreds of billions and you risk your life, you go sit on those seats every day and you have no idea who the CEO is Mm -hmm. at all. Right? You don't. Yeah. I don't know the names of them either. And I've said the same thing 50 times. I don't know the names of them. I just know Richard Branson. Wow. That's the power of personal brand. Yeah. So how does someone go about starting to build their own personal brand? Say, Say that they like are used to being behind the scenes and doing business and they don't know where to begin to start. So every single person listening has an iPhone or an Android. Mm-hmm. That's how they're listening right now, either a laptop, iPhone, Android, some electronic device that can also record them. So they can't complain or say that they have no way to make social media content or make video content or photo content because they literally have right now one of the nicest cameras in the history of the world in their pocket or next to them right this second. So you can't say you can't do it. Next, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, all of them, free, 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 and free. You couldn't spend any money on threads or Twitter or TikTok if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's just free. So don't have an excuse there either. <laughs> you already go to work. Let's say you're a real estate agent. You already go do listings. You already go do open houses. Like You already do the thing and you already have the phone. And you already have these platforms. Just pull your phone out and make some videos and photos of it. 60 seconds or less. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. People think that it's, oh, it's boring. Nobody's going to care. We care because we're already following you. You didn't force us to click the follow button. We're following you. So we want to see if you're going to a real estate conference, post about it. You're going to an open house, you're going to a listing, post about it. You're going to dinner with Tara and three friends, post about it. We're watching your life. 
We're watching your real estate. We're watching your work. You're going out with your friends to play pickleball. Post about it. Like we start to build a personal relationship with you. And then when you teach us something or make us laugh or show us something interesting, like you teach us something like that, then we repost your content. And all of a sudden, Dan's been following you for four months and you made a video about like, oh yeah, if you add a alarm systems, you can actually spend three grand for the alarm system, raise the price of the house by 7,000. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I repost it. And now a million people see it. And you didn't even know I was following you for the last four months. <laughs> so true. And then Tara reposted because she saw me repost it and then her friends reposted. And all of a sudden your video goes viral. And it's just three grand for alarm system that helps you raise it by seven grand. So cool. So true. I was going to say, even like when you're starting a business, showing the process of what it takes to build that thing on your social media is interesting. It makes people feel a part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say the real estate agent shows us, hey, I just bought this fix and flip for $300,000. I'm going to spend 40 grand that I saved up to fix this house. And then they show us each week, I fixed the bathrooms. I went to like a garage sale and I bought all these cool furniture pieces. I got it super cheap and I fixed up this and that. And I put a palm tree outside. I got a palm tree for 3,100 bucks. And we just walk us through it. When it's time for you to sell the house, we're like all cheerleading. We know where your bathroom is. We know where your kitchen is. We know where your palm tree is. Like we feel a part of your house. We remember where you got that freaking couch from. <laughs> yeah, right? that's so true. And so now when it's time for you to sell the house, we're like, oh yeah, we're resharing it. We're commenting. We're forwarding to our friends that live in wherever the city you're in. Like, we feel a part of it because we watched the process. Yeah. Way different when a real estate agent is like, oh yeah, I bought this house for 300K and now I'm selling it for 400K. What do we care? <laughs> when did you buy the house? What happened? We have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not taking a four that's in my friends. I have no emotional attachment to it. So true. Compared to someone just pulling their phone out and showing us the process. Yeah. It's like the world is moving towards like authenticity and the more like raw and open you can be with your life, the better I think nowadays. I think that's why from my perspective, I feel like that's why TikTok blew up. Like Instagram was like perfect life and everyone's posting the perfect thing. And then TikTok, you saw these influencers and speakers and people that you never heard really like saw talking or saw doing different things they started doing it on tiktok and you're like oh wow i didn't know they were like that you know and then that blew up so it just shows the market is looking for that so now what you're saying of like really showing the behind the scenes and what it takes and stuff will make people actually care and connect with you because people don't want to see like a perfect world anymore perfect is not relatable yeah that's when i was building this podcast i had a really hard time with that because i'm like want everything to be perfect And then it just took, it stopped me for so long about moving forward. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm too busy. I'm not able to make it as perfect as I want to do it. And so then I was just like, no one wants to see that Tara, you know, that no one wants to see it perfect. (laughs) Like, what are you holding yourself back? So I recently saw you're a part of a $72 million acquisition. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Uh, so it's called aspire tour. Um, they have like 2000, 3000 person events all over the country every single month. And they were doing like six million bucks a month of these business conferences. And I was helping them on the side, like here's A-Rod and Magic Johnson, and Barbara Cochran and all these interesting characters to go speak at their events. And then I was helping them with all these other things. And I was speaking at their events also. And then they saw I was throwing an arena event in Salt Lake City. They saw my masterminds and my charity events and my free events. And they were like, what is going on with your world and our world? And so we started talking more and I realized like they have 85 employees. They have a really clean cut system. I call them the machine. Like you have a really good machine to run this whole thing. And I've got $100,000 per person masterminds, free events called elevator nights, charity events, pizza festivals, toy drives, like all these different events that I'm throwing. And so I decided, I was like, why don't I just buy a piece of your company and let's put our whole worlds together and I can use your machine of 85 employees 
makes with my employees. So now we'll have over 100 employees and we'll take you from a $72 million company to over 100 million just from our my revenue and your revenue. And then I'll help scale it. And so we did that. <laughs> and uh, yesterday we did our big event in New York. We had 2,000 people sold out. Next month we have 3,100 tickets already sold out. The month after that it's already sold out for 2,500. So like they just know how to do it. They're a machine. And so now I'm going to add in all my events and make my toy drives bigger, make my masterminds bigger, make my events bigger, help make theirs bigger. And I'm now throwing 42 events in 2024. Holy shit. That's so cool though. That's so cool. It's exciting and tiring all at the same time. I feel like it's a cool feeling to go to an event that like is like moving at that scale and so many people are working on it because you can kind of get to a place where you show up and you're like, oh, wow. Yes. Like that's such a cool feeling. Other, yeah, I, I showed up to the event at seven fifteen in the morning. I think normally I used to go like the day before, two days before. They're like, no, you don't need to be there. Just come in the morning. I show up in the morning. Everything's done. Flashing lights. There's six hundred people waiting to come inside, and I'm like, whoa. There's fourteen hundred people inside. <laughs> I can just walk on stage and go. That's so cool. Yeah. That's yeah. so amazing. Tell people about your elevator nights. So elevator nights I've thrown for a decade for free. There's mm-hmm. no tickets, no sales, no nothing. It's just like a free event. I get 300 to 1,000 entrepreneurs to come. I usually only give like three to six days notice because otherwise I'd have too many people show up. And it's just a free event. I do them like half the time at Hubble Studio, downtown LA. And the rest of the time I do them around the country. I go to um, different cities or different events and I'll just throw like a pop-up like, hey, I got room for 500 people at this venue. Come on over. And then I'll have like Jake and Logan Paul or Russell Simmons or different characters like speaking at these events and then luckily they'll do it for free people i would normally pay a lot to speak they'll do it for free because they know it's a free event that's so cool wow and that's grown so much over the years yeah. 53 times wow that's yeah. a lot to throw events it's yeah. not an easy business uh, it's not a business i pay for it all <laughs> so yeah there's no sponsors yeah it's very expensive wow. but it's my excuse to like get everyone together and stuff happens yeah and so i spend a lot doing it just for the community because i like people showing up for those and now that this whole Aspire Tour deal, the night before Aspire Tour in a lot of cities, we'll throw an elevator night for free. Mm-hmm. And so people can come there the night for free. And same thing, 300 to 1,000 guests. We'll do the same show, bring some cool speakers in. They can all network and it's just free. Yeah, because the amount of business you can do from those things probably. You probably yeah. meet so many people. The meeting people is my favorite part. I, I always call it I collect people. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, your network is probably insane now that I think about it. <laughs> I mean, I already knew, but like I didn't think about it at the that ma- the scale. Math. The math is interesting. <laughs> the company has the one I just bought a piece of. We'll have 70,000 people at our events in person next year. Wow. And so that the math of that is really interesting to me because if I do that for five, ten years in a row, I'm like, well, I'm going to speak in front of a million people. Wow. At our own events, not counting whatever, I go speak at other people's events. Wow. And now that makes me start to really think of like the power of what I can do for charity, for investments, et cetera. That's why I'm so excited about this. That's so cool. Okay. So there's something also really awesome that you were doing. You're building like a ranch at your house. Can you tell us all about your dream land? Yeah. So it's <laughs> called Black Sight Ranch and then the Wild Jungle. So Wild Jungle is with the real Tarzan. Uh, this kid gets like 200 million views per month. Uh, making animal content and so i moved him from miami to temecula to the ranch so he lives there and we have 188 animals now uh, and growing because they keep having freaking babies all the time uh, <laughs> and it's uh, very expensive to feed them all <laughs> i would uh, imagine 9200 a week in hay alone 
Yes. In hay. Just in hay. <laughs> uh, and it's like a place where I, we built a lake there so that people could do weddings. We built an ATV course so our friends could ride ATVs. Wow. We built a military obstacle course on the other side with shooting ranges. Not for live ammunition, but for like uh, airsoft guns. We built a shooting range, uh, axe throwing, crossbows, like a whole military side of things. We built a big gym. And then the main thing is the animals. Like that's our main ostriches and zebras and camels and donkeys and yeah so amazing 16 foot snakes so what was the purpose for all that just to fulfill your dreams so i didn't plan on it all happening in that way i just always wanted a ranch and i always wanted to build a place that i could live at that my friends could throw events at and my friends could come visit me and i could have a bunch of things like we have a miniature golf there and we have basketball and football i have things for people to do while they're there um and ultimately, I'll build an event space there so that I can throw my own events at the place. We have, a, we have a smaller one that can hold a couple hundred people right now. And it just kind of evolved as time went on this last year of just like building the place out. So if you have any other ideas, we'll throw them on there too. I was going to say, let me do a model day with all the talent there. They'll flip out. Can you do it next Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> my birthday party. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bring as many, oh, yeah, yeah. Bring as many guys okay, and girls I'm going to do that too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the talent there. Perfect. We'll make it mandatory. <laughs> um okay they gotta dress up like cowboys it's a yellowstone theme (laughs) oh yeah yeah i saw your flyer make a mandatory (laughs) um okay so i just have a last few questions what advice would you give someone looking to grow on social media okay this is really easy post every day on every platform so most people only post on like just instagram or just facebook or just twitter you got to post on all six of the major platforms even if you love one platform particularly that one you can call social media that's the one you're actually social on the other ones used for media. You don't have to be mm-hmm. social. You don't want to tweet back at someone on Twitter? Don't. Don't mm-hmm. want to repost people on Facebook? You don't have to. But you got to be interactive and post on the main platform that you like and then post across all platforms. Next, collaborations. If you and your friends go play basketball and you make videos together and photos together and all of you repost and tag each other, you're likely to gain following. If four girls go to dinner and they all post each other, they're likely to gain following. If friends all get together for a party or for Disneyland and you post each other, you're likely to gain following. If you go do real estate with a bunch of real estate people at a real estate event, you're likely to gain following. And so just going and doing active things that are collaborations with people and make sure that you're the one like, hey, let's take a quick photo together. Hey, let's do a fun video. Hey, Tara, why are you at this real estate conference? Hey, what are we doing here? Like just make fun, short little clips and people are going to repost and share it and you're likely to gain following. Yeah, that's so true. That's great advice. Um, What is your billion dollar quality that got you to where you are now? The word relentless. The same thing I look for in people is why I exist. Mm -hmm. Nothing will stop me. It doesn't matter what it is. Nothing will embarrass me. Nothing will scare me. Nothing will nothing will stop me to get to what I need to do on any business, charity, career, situation, event, anything. And so with that attitude mentality and have to actually stand by it, like I can't just say it out loud and be like, oh, yeah, like I actually have to do it all the time and live my life like that. Um, it is the reason I exist. It is the reason I have businesses, why I have charities, why I have career is because of the, the word relentless. Wow. I had someone on uh, a little bit ago and she like is like that with like doing activities and jumping out of planes and stuff. But I feel like you're like that in business. Which you're kind of like jumping like, out of plane. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you're like covering so much ground in business, the amount of things that you're doing at once is amazing. So I appreciate you for coming on. And I know so many people are going to be inspired by this episode. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so tell us every, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Uh, so it's just at Dan Fleischman on every platform. 
It's also important for you guys to have the same screen name across every platform, have the same bio and the same photo, the same headshot on every platform to make it easy for people to remember you. That's so cool because it's like branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, a, a company doesn't change their logo on every platform. Right. So you should have the same same image, same shirt. If you're wearing a blue shirt or a white shirt, tan shirt, wear the same one every photo. Wow, that's great advice. Thank you. you got it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Of course, you're the my best. Pleasure. So that's it for you today, my billion dollar baby. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure to comment in the section and let me know what parts resonated with you the most. I'm going to be replying to all of you. And as always, thank you for tuning in. We're coming back every week on Tuesday.